The scripture reading this morning will be Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, that would be on page 859. And, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do give you thanks for your word this day. And Father, uh, we do pray for our pastor as he brings a message this morning on temptation here. And Father, we just ask that you would uh, help us to uh, still our hearts and minds and to focus upon you. And Father, if there be one here that knows you not as their personal Savior, that this might be the joy, the day, the day that they can rejoice in you. And we'll give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. This one. Let me just throw it on there. Well, good morning once again. And we are going to spend a couple of weeks here uh, looking at Luke chapter 4. Uh, verses 1 through 13, uh, thinking about the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I see this just as a great opportunity uh, to talk about that, which is common to each of us, universal. No matter where you go, uh, you cannot escape temptation. If the Lord Jesus Christ underwent temptation, then you and I are going to undergo temptation. Uh, so the big idea as we look at this text this morning is that Jesus is our Savior from temptation. Often we will read Luke 4, 1 through 13 and try and ransack it uh, for some thoughts, some strategies, some tactics on how to overcome temptation, and that's valuable, that, that's good to do. But often in doing that, we miss uh, the most important truth coming out of Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, and that is, again, the fact that Jesus conquered temptation. 
Jesus defeated temptation. If Jesus hadn't defeated temptation, you could ransack Luke 4 all you want for tactics to overcome temptation, but what, what good would it be? So the main point of Luke 4 is that Jesus has overcome temptation and that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you also can overcome temptation. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit under attack by Satan. It's a profound time of of testing and temptation for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this for us. He does this for our benefit. And in withstanding the temptations of the devil, uh, Jesus Christ wins the victory for us. That's Luke 4 in a nutshell. Uh, And it's, it's a powerful text. Uh, Jesus walked into the wilderness, he faced Satan, he knocked him out, he won the victory over sin and temptation. That truth, as Christians, should cause us to glory in Christ. It should cause us to sing loudly the goodness of God and the greatness of our Savior. It should also give you this morning confidence as you face temptation. Thanks to Jesus, Temptation does not have to be your undoing. Will we continue to face temptation? Yes, absolutely. But because of Christ, we can have the victory. That's Luke 4. So as we, as we make our way through it, that will be the drumbeat. Jesus gives us the victory. Jesus gives us the victory. And our first point this morning, if you're following in the bulletin, is the ultimate battle against temptation in verses 1 and 2. Again, it says in verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So Jesus is led by who? The Spirit. He's full of the Spirit, and he's led by that Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all bring this out. Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 12, uses very strong language to say, The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Now, that's, that's important to catch. It's important to catch because I think sometimes we read this text and we think or we interpret it in such a way that somehow Jesus was sidelined by Satan. That somehow Satan's the one in control here. And Christ is, is kind of reacting to what, to what Satan is doing. But the text brings out very, very plainly who's in control here. The Spirit leads Christ into the wilderness. It's not Satan who leads Christ into the wilderness. Who does? The Spirit. This isn't being orchestrated by Satan. Satan doesn't seek Jesus out. Jesus, led by the Spirit, seeks him out. He walks into the wilderness to confront him. And this wilderness is one of the most desolate places on the face of the earth. I read a few things about it this week, just kind of refreshing my mind on it and, and learned that it's, it's basically an oven by day and a freezer by night, uh, that it's full of fractured ravines. I read that it's a broken and twisted mass 
of rocky gorges and cliffs. Uh, one commentator, Garland, described it as a thirsty and waterless land filled with venomous snakes and scorpions. It's not where you want to spend 40 days. Oh, but Jesus is there for 40 days doing battle with Satan in the wilderness. There's no mere three temptations. Luke, Luke 4 brings out the three, but there's more than three. Jesus was being tempted for 40 days straight. 40 days straight, uh, those three temptations that Luke mentions are, appear to be last-ditch efforts from Satan to knock Jesus out. Everything else has failed for 39 days or 40 days, whatever day these final three come, I don't know. But everything else Satan has tried has failed during this confrontation, and now he has these last three he's going to throw at him. So begins in Luke 4 this ultimate battle of temptation, yes, between Christ and Satan. On the one side is Satan, the devil, the mighty fallen angel, the sinner of sinners, the father of lies. On the other side is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, full of the Spirit, the promised King, the Savior of sinners. Now I think this, this battle, this ultimate confrontation is significant for a number of reasons. In fact, I have four of them. I'm going to hit the first three very quickly because uh, we'll, we'll expand more on them in the next week. Uh, but there's four reasons why this battle between Christ and Satan is very significant. The first one, I'm just going to say it quick, is this demonstrates for you and for myself that it is not a sin to be tempted. Right? It's not a sin to be tempted. And I think that's important to bring out because sometimes we get caught and, and mired in temptation and we think that we're in sin and we're guilty over it, but we're not. It's not a sin to be tempted. Number two, this text is in here to give us an example of how to overcome temptation. I mentioned that already. Number three, we see here that Jesus is able to help you and I in the midst of temptation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 18 is a good cross-reference for Luke 4. And Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So you see, because Jesus himself suffered through temptation, he is able to help you when you are tempted. That's Hebrews 2.18. But the fourth point uh, coming out of this text, and by far the most important point, and the point I'm trying to drive home this morning, is that this, this wilderness temptation is here to demonstrate right from the beginning, right, right from the get-go, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that Jesus has unswerving allegiance to God, unswerving allegiance to his Father who loves him and whom he loves. And, and, and that as God's Son... Catch this, you need to catch this part. As God's son, Jesus will triumph. Because other sons have come in the past and they did not triumph, they failed. Remember how Luke's genealogy ends? It ends with reference to Adam, the son of God. And we know that Adam, the first Adam, the son of God, he lived in a garden. And he was also tempted by Satan, but he what? He failed. He fell. He sinned. And he brought all of humanity into misery with him. 
Well, here comes Christ, the second Adam, and he's, he's not in a garden, he's in a wilderness. It's much worse on him. Adam has everything he needs for victory. He doesn't avail himself of them. Adam has no reason to fail, but he fails. Christ has every reason to fail, and he what? He secedes. He is the second Adam. He is the greater second Adam. But there's another son that the scriptures often reference, and that's Israel. Israel is often referenced as God's son. And as a son, Israel was tested for 40 years where? In the wilderness. There's a clear parallel there between Jesus and Israel. And so Israel, as God's son, is tested for 40 years in the wilderness, and they fail the test. They grumble. They complain. They don't believe God's promises. They fall into misery. Like Adam, Israel was a disobedient son. So Satan is two for two. He won with Adam. He won in the wilderness. So there's, there's this tension here that, that we need to feel that I think we often miss when we read through this. And, and the tension is, will Jesus secede? He's the son of God, right? That's been affirmed from his baptism. It's affirmed by his genealogy. So here he comes. He's going to confront Satan. And Satan got Adam and Satan got Israel. Is he going to get Jesus? Is, is Jesus a second Adam going to win? That's, that's the tension of this text. Is Satan going to win again? Is he going to derail God's son? This, this confrontation with Satan is setting the stage for the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry. If Jesus fails here, it's game over. But because Jesus wins here, it sets the stage again for his victory in the rest of his earthly ministry. It lays the groundwork for the cross and for his victory through the grave. Remember Jesus' mission, Luke 19.10, he says, I have come to seek and to save who? The lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. Well, the lost are any who have not placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the lost, the scriptures would tell us, are under the power of the evil one. But the lost, in fact, Jesus says, are the Satan is their father. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we are called disobedient sons, and the power of the prince of the air is over us. It's what the scriptures teach about our fallen state when we're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, if he's going to save you, if he's going to save me, he has to do battle with who? He needs to battle Satan. And 1 John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus is God's Son, full of the Holy Spirit. He's taking the fight right, right to Satan. I, I love it. It's, it's like Jesus goes looking for him. Jesus steps right up to the gates of hell and faces Satan and, and basically is saying to him, do your worst. Do your worst. And Satan does. Satan throws everything he has at him for 40 days in the wilderness. He assaults Jesus with wave after wave after wave after wave of temptation. He's throwing his fiery darts. He's seeking to lure. He's seeking to destroy Christ. But Jesus, what? He defeats him. Jesus defeats him. Jesus walks right into the wilderness, right into the storm, and he is victorious. Jesus is the obedient son. He is victorious where everyone else has failed. And in winning that victory, he brings his people with him. 
He brings us who believe with him. So we see here again that Jesus is our savior. He stood in the wilderness. He took the worst that Satan had to throw at him. He was tempted in every way possible without sin. He was tempted in every way, but unlike Adam and unlike Israel, he trusted the Father. He loved the Father. He believed the Father. He had unswerving allegiance to the Father. Satan was fierce. Satan was a great foe. But Jesus is greater than he who is in the world. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. We have the victory. Jesus is not just our example. He is our Savior our Savior, and because he is the Savior, when we trust in him, we can also resist temptation. This is great reason to praise him. This is great reason to glorify him. This is also great reason throughout the week as as temptation comes, or even later today, or even right now, you are able to fight the good fight because the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, because he won the victory in the wilderness. He is our great champion. Our great champion. So in considering that, consider the reality of temptation. We've seen uh, that Jesus is our great champion who fights for us, who won the victory for us, but that doesn't mean that temptation goes away. Uh, Temptation is very, very real, and Jesus was being tempted for these 40 days, a a blistering hail of firing darts coming at him, uh, and and Satan is trying to knock Jesus out with these these punches of his, these, these temptations of his. Now, there are some ways in which Satan's temptations of Jesus are unique, unique in the sense that Jesus is the Son of God, and you and I were not. <laughs> so, so those temptations are unique in, in many, many ways. But the reality is, as Christians, we should and we must be prepared for temptation. In fact, Jesus himself teaches us to watch and pray lest you what? Fall into temptation. And according to 1 John 2.16, when we are tempted, our temptations fall into largely three categories. Remember 1 John 2.16, it says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Or your translation might say, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, of the pride of life. Flashback with me for a second in the garden. And think how Satan tempts Eve. Have you ever connected 1 John 2.16 to Genesis 3 and watched how Satan tempts Eve? Did you ever notice he tempts Eve through those three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Uh, There's there's a strong connection there uh, because we read that uh, Eve saw that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food. So what's that? That's the desire of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. She also saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. What's that? That's the desire of the eyes, right? But she also saw that it was a tree desirable to make her wise. What's that? That's that's the pride of life. Those those are the three major categories of temptation. And I think you can look at Luke 4 and see that Satan is using that same strategy on Christ. He, He tempts Christ to turn the stones into bread, which would satisfy the desire of the flesh. 
In the next temptation, he takes Satan up, or Christ up on some kind of mountain or some kind of vision somehow, presents to him all the glory of the nations. And so Jesus sees that with his eyes. That's the, the desire or the lust of the eyes. And then you also have the, the temptation where he, he tries to get Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. I think that's the temptation to the pride of life. Satan uses the same strategy today. He, he doesn't need to come up with anything new because it works. It's worked for him for, for all these years. It didn't work against Christ, praise the Lord, but it often works against us. But reality is, again, that sometimes, like Jesus, all this temptation seems to just collide in one moment. You ever have that happen? Like this pressing hour of temptation. Maybe the phone rings with, with bad news or there's, there's trouble at the church or our missionaries are experiencing uh, heartache and trials. Uh, it just seems like one problem leads to, to another and it all comes crashing. No sooner did one problem develop and man, another problem develops and another problem and you climb out of one and another one pushes you down. You ever have days like that or weeks like that or moments like that? Uh, similar to what Christ has here for 40 days straight of just, just cascading waves of, of temptation. I just want to encourage you this morning, don't, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised when you're tempted. The desires of the flesh and the pride of life and uh, Satan himself is tirelessly at work to trick you and subvert you and, and try and get you to trust yourself and, and not him. Remember what God says to Cain? He says, sin is at the door, and his desire is to pounce you, jump upon you, devour you, destroy you. But you must stand. You must rule over it. Scripture continually warns us, don't be surprised by temptation. Again, Jesus, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. If Satan cannot rob you of heaven, he will make your journey there as hard as he can. He's at work. But in the midst of those temptations, again, remember, Jesus defeated temptation. And Jesus knows your temptation. Think of it this way. Jesus smelled the breath of Satan. Jesus went toe-to-toe with Satan. Face-to-face with Satan. He's felt and experienced the worst that Satan has to throw at you. He knows your temptations. He knows your struggles. He knows your trials. He knows all of that. What does that mean? That means you can trust him. And that means as you're tempted, and I wonder how good we are at this, when you're tempted, do you run to Jesus? When you're tempted, how do you think Jesus is looking? Do you think Jesus is, is kind of like, like this, like, like trying to distance himself from you in temptation? What, what's Jesus doing in temptation? He's for you. And all of his power is available to you to overcome that temptation. Remember Hebrews 2.18 again? Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you in the throes of temptation? Throw yourself upon Jesus. He is able to help you when you are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says it even stronger. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
We have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the exhortation then is, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you're under temptation, when you're faced with temptation, run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the throne of grace. Find his help. Find his strength in that time of need. He is for you. Again, he's, he's, he's felt, he's smelled Satan's breath. He knows what Satan is throwing at you. He can help you and strengthen you through it. Sometimes when we face temptation, we think, well, no one understands what I'm going through. Jesus does. He understands what you're going through. And remember that scripture says that no temptation comes upon you but such as is what? Common to man. Sometimes in the midst of temptation we're, we fall in this line of thinking that no, no, this, this is too much for me to handle. I can't deal with this. Then throw yourself on Jesus because <laughs> he can deal with it. He can handle it. Or sometimes we think there's, there's no way I can obey God in this situation. I'm, I'm only human. I, I can't stand up under this. You know who can? The Lord Jesus Christ. He is able and willing to help you in the midst of your temptation. Jesus is good. Temptation will come. Expect it. Trust in Jesus, our champion, to fight the good fight for you and overcome it. Which leads to our third point, the purpose of God in temptation. I want to spend just a moment thinking about that word tempted that you find in verse 2. It says Jesus was being tempted for 40 days, uh, being tempted by the devil. You need to know that that word tempted, the fascinating word in the New Testament, that word tempted can actually be translated also tested. Did you know that? That the same word, as you make your way through the scriptures, in fact, this is a fascinating study in James chapter 1, you find this exact same word, it can always be translated either tempted or tested. So when you typically, in, as you read through the New Testament, you come across the word tempted, it's also the word for tested. Or if you come along the word tested, guess what? It's also the word for tempted. It's one and the same word. That's significant. Uh, so the, the word can very much mean to test something to prove its value or to prove its usefulness. Kind of like how they test cars before they go out on the market, right? Crash tests, every kind of test you can imagine. To, and they want to get that four star, however many stars it is. They want that on the side, right? So that it sells more, right? They, so they test it. They want to prove or demonstrate that the car is worth driving, that the car is safe driving. So I think that's what's happening here in our text. That with one and the same event, the Holy Spirit drives Christ into the wilderness to prove, to test, to prove that he is the Son of God. But then here comes Satan, and he wants to co-opt that. And he wants to prove, no, he's not. Right? It's one and the same event. And God, through the Spirit, is out to prove Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God, my perfect Son. He's, he's my beloved Son, and he's, he's, he's obedient to me, and he does my will. And, and Satan comes along and wants to show, no, he won't. He won't. 
It's one, one and the same situation, two different purposes colliding. And what I really think ultimately is happening from, from God's perspective and God's perfect providence is God is using Satan. Remember, Satan's always on God's leash. And God is using Satan to prove to the world, this is my son. And he will be victorious where everyone else has failed. Watch my son. Watch his, his trust in me. Watch his belief in me. Watch his love for me. And, and watch how Satan will scramble. Satan will throw everything he can throw at him. But Jesus will prove he's greater than Satan. Jesus will prove he came to destroy Satan. So Satan intends to solicit Jesus to evil. He wants to undo Jesus. He wants to trip him up, destroy him. But in the end, I love God's providence. Satan does the exact opposite. Satan, by failing, actually shows the glory of Christ. It's important to understand that and see that because every Christian is tested by God through his life. God tests us. The Lord brings pressures upon his children. In fact, that's often the Greek word behind the word trial or tribulation in the Bible. It's the word flipsis, which is kind of fun to say. Flipsis, you got to spit a little bit when you say it. Um, kind of like when I took German, if you want to speak German, you got to spit a lot, right? Similar to Hebrew, you have the, the guttural stuff going. But flipsis, right? T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, when you transliterate it, it literally means to press, to squeeze. And so sometimes the Lord tests us. Sometimes he squeezes us. Sometimes he puts pressure in our life. He tries our faith in different circumstances. He does that to use you and to grow you and to sharpen you and to prepare you. You can't grow spiritually without facing strong temptations and trials. And it's also very difficult to help others if you yourself have never faced strong temptations and trials. So listen to Psalm 119, verses 67 and 71. Here the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted or pressured or squeezed, I went astray. But now I keep your word. So he says in Psalm 119, verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? He says that I might learn your statutes. Are you able to say that this morning? We're just saying God is good even in the midst of suffering. Do you believe that? It's one thing to sing. Sometimes we don't think about what we're singing. Are we thinking about that? Can, can we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 71, it was good that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Or James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, there's that word, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, no, no doubt God's providences can be hard. They can be difficult. But God uses those trials uh, to sharpen you and equip you and grow you uh, to, for effective ministry. So that's why I need to keep thinking about this. Who, who put Jesus in the wilderness? The Spirit did, right? The Spirit puts Jesus in the wilderness who tempted Jesus? Satan. You see those two purposes colliding? You see how the Lord sends the, the Son to prove his Son, and you can see how Satan tries to co-opt it 
to destroy him. I think it's the same with us. I think sometimes the Father lovingly leads you and I in the wilderness. I think it's possible that there's some here this morning and you would say and you feel like, I'm in the wilderness right now. I'm in the wilderness. And I want you to hear from this text that this is necessary because God wants to use you and grow you and he wants to use you to use others and comfort others and, and, and sharpen others and restore others. God puts us in the wilderness not to wound us or to hurt us, but to refine us and grow us. Think of how it worked for Jesus. Think of how this wilderness testing proves and, and, and in a way sharpens the Lord Jesus Christ. Because for the next three years of his earthly ministry, as he, as he travels village to village, what's he encounter pretty much every village he goes to? Demon possession, right? Everywhere he seems to go, he encounters Satan's minions, Satan's demons, uh, people who are ruined by Satan. But the Lord is never intimidated by them. He's never scared of them. Always, when the Lord enters those towns and villages, he's filled with compassion for them. Why? I think it's in part because, again, he's felt Satan's breath. He's faced Satan. He's gone toe-to-toe with Satan, and he knocked Satan out. And he knows he's greater than Satan by experience. So he's able to go into these towns and these villages in all authority, casting out demons, and he has compassion for those who are being uh, attacked by demons because he's faced it firsthand. See how this, this testing proved him and sharpened him for his ministry. As he would also go to those towns and villages, men and women would, would often say, man, where does he get his authority from? Even, even the demons, even they're subject to him, and of course they are. He took out Satan in the wilderness. I'm sure word got around within the, the spiritual realm that Christ just took out Satan. I'm sure the demons trembled and were terrified. I'm just trying to help you see how God used this temptation to prove and test and prepare Jesus for his earthly ministry, and he does the same for us. I, I don't think it's, it's any accident that if you pick up in verse 14, Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus comes out of the, the temptation victorious, and it says in verse 14 that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. I think he's experienced the the full fury of Satan. He's defeated him. He emerges from the temptation with a spirit very pronounced in his life, ready to fulfill the mission of the Father. And I just think, isn't that the same with you? When when you're going through that temptation, that hour of temptation, those struggles, those those trials, and you you meet him with with faith in God and, and trust in his word, don't you come out of that temptation all the stronger? Don't you come out of that praising Jesus more and crying even louder, Lord, you're so good. Doesn't that happen to you, for you, when you face that temptation? And when, when, when you don't overcome it, you go into uh, great discouragement, right? But even then, you run to Jesus. But when you face him victoriously, trusting God's word and his promises, you have unswerving allegiance in the midst of that temptation. Don't you come out of that so much stronger, filled with his love, filled with his joy, filled with his confidence. Richard Baxter, 
Uh, he was alive in the 16 or 1700s, can't quite remember where, Some, somewhere in there. He's, he's one of those dead old guys who still, still speaks to us today. Uh, he says, and he's a man who went through many trials, many, many trials. He shares this. Weakness and pain helped me to study how to die. Then, that set me on studying how to live. I think that's the point when the Father puts us in the wilderness. Maybe the temptations are so bad that you cry out, Lord, just take me now. I don't know, sometimes they can be awful. But through that temptation, as you throw yourself on the Lord and you trust Jesus and only Jesus and you promise, and the promises in his word, you can come out there and say, man, I, I despaired. I was, I, was in the, I was in the valley. I was depressed. I was discouraged. But now I see how to live. Now I have his confidence and his hope and his joy. Now I can go and I can help others. And I can love others. And I can serve others. What a great God we serve. God is out to grow us. Satan is out to derail you. God leads us into the wilderness to prove us. Satan seeks to subvert you. Job is another great example of that. Uh, God allowed Job to be afflicted to prove his servant was upright and God-fearing. Satan's purpose was the exact opposite. He wanted Satan, in the words of Job's wife, to curse God and die. Or how about this? After church, you have to go get gas, and so you stop over there at Orangeville gas station, and you do this weird thing. You actually use cash. Does anyone do that anymore? <clears throat> and, and you pull out that green stuff, and, and you, pay, you pay for your gas, and the attendant, the, the register, the person at the register, gives you the wrong amount back. They give you 20 bucks back. They're only supposed to give you $2 back. Is that a test? It is a test, isn't it? Is that a temptation? It is a temptation, isn't it? It's a test if you're going to be honest and love the Lord more than that money and give that back to the attendant, who, by the way, might lose their job because $20 is missing from the till at the end of the day and maybe gets accused of what? Stealing, right? It's also a test if you're going to love the Lord. It's a temptation if you're going to have, take that money and, well, it's, it's, it's their fault. I'm just going to take it as a blessing from the Lord and go give that to someone or something. I have no idea. But that's, that's the temptation. That's the test. Uh, there's other ways that can work out. Suppose you lose your job. Could that be a test from God? Well, absolutely. It could also be a temptation. If you lose your job, are you going to trust God? Or are you going to get angry and dejected? I think that works the other way, too. Maybe at your job you get a great promotion. Can that be a test? Absolutely, that can be a test. It can also be a great temptation. Again and again and again, as we encounter life's circumstances, it's always either a temptation or a test. I think that's why that same word, that's such an amazing word, can get translated both ways. The New Testament, the Scripture, the Spirit wants you to see that those, those two things are so similar they work so hand in hand uh, that we shouldn't try and divide them. A temptation is also a test, and a test is often a temptation. So as you go through life and you have these financial situations or school problems or health trouble or, or business setbacks or relationship issues, those, those are tests. 
Those, those circumstances in and of themselves are not good or bad. What makes them good or bad is if you're going to trust God through it or if you're going to be derailed by it. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in a way where God guides you through it, trusting him, or are you going to put God to the test? Sometimes we do that. How do you respond to those personal struggles in your life? I wish I could say that I always respond in full trust and unswerving allegiance to the Father, but then I would be lying. That test, that temptation is often, it is constant. Expect the trials. If you're going to grow spiritually, look to God in the midst of it. In your notes, I've given to you seven ways uh, from Thomas Watson that he says you can look to God in the midst of temptation. This is, again, another, another dead guy who still speaks. Uh, Thomas Watson, uh, and he, he shares in his work seven ways that you can look to God in the midst of temptation and, and grow through it, be proved through it instead of being derailed by it. And I'm just going to hit those quick. They're in your notes. I encourage you to think through those in your growth group or, or talk about them as a family after, after the sermon or, or talk about them in fellowship here during Coffee and Connect, huh? Uh, But real quick, number one, he says, temptation works for good when it sends the soul to prayer. Uh, So if if temptation comes and that causes you to pray more, then that's a good thing, right? That's the Lord working through that. In fact, Watson writes, quote, the more furiously Satan tempts, the more fervently you should pray. Number two, Watson writes, temptation works for good when it motivates you to battle sin, Number three, temptation works for good when it promotes humility. Remember Paul, and he gets that thorn in the flesh? Remember why God says that happens? It was to keep him humble, so that he would boast in God and boast in his weakness. Uh, Number four, temptation works for good when it tries and proves our faith. Number five, temptation works for good when it equips us to comfort those who are being tempted. Number six, Temptation works for good when it stirs up God's fatherly heart towards us. In other words, when it helps you see his pity for you and his love for you and his approval for you. And number seven, temptation works for good when it engages Christ's strength. Uh, He writes, quote, Jesus is our friend, and when we are tempted, he sets all his power working for us. And what a thought that is. And that's so true. When you're tempted... Jesus sets all of his power at work for you to overcome that temptation. So lastly this morning, I want to hit this truth, just again from verse 2, this idea of the surprising occasion for temptation. We've talked about the reality of temptation. You're going to face temptation. But just, just here, I want to hit four ways, four areas where we seem to be particularly prone to temptation. And the first one is this. I think we are very prone to temptation in times of prosperity. Don't get me wrong. Uh, prosperity is not sinful. Money is not sinful, right? Having lots of money is not bad, right? Sometimes we mess that verse up. It's the love of money, not money, right? But that being said, often we are very prone to temptation when we're flush, when we have prosperity. So you even have Augur, or however you say his name, A-G-U-R in the Proverbs. Remember he, this prayer in Proverbs where he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? See a temptation that's there? If you're full, if you have prosperity, there's a temptation to deny him. Another way in which we are susceptible, especially susceptible, is self-confidence. When you're full of self-confidence. Remember Peter? Jesus told him he's going he's gonna to deny him three times, and Peter was like, what? I'm not going to do that. He had what? Self-confidence. You ever say something like that? Those words ever come out of your mouth? I used to struggle with that, but I always cringe when I hear that because the verse in the back of my mind is, take heed lest you fall. The third one, we are susceptible in times of spiritual apathy. Spiritual laziness, spiritual sleepiness. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Jesus says to his disciples just hours before his crucifixion, he takes three of them with him and he goes off to pray and he says to them, watch him pray, watch him pray. And they maybe pray for a few minutes and they fall asleep and Christ agonizes in prayer, but Jesus would often say, watch him pray. I wonder... And I've prayed, I wonder if this morning there are any here who are spiritually sleeping. Is there anyone here this morning where you've lost your zeal? You've lost your spiritual ambition. You've lost your, your, your love for others, maybe. Or, or, or you feel like you're stuck in the spiritual ruts. Maybe you're quick to get angry or lash out. Maybe, maybe you no longer despair or agonize over the, the lost you just got to live in your life and you're stuck. You're sleeping spiritually. Is that, is that you? Is there a sleepy Christian here this morning? You need to know that spiritual carelessness and neglect is a dangerous spiritual state. And this morning, Dave read from Revelation 5. If you flip back in Revelation 3 and 4, there's the seven churches. Remember to the church of Sardis, Christ says this. He says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Be alert. Stop being careless. Start paying attention. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. The scriptures are saying to us and commanding us, and the Spirit is empowering you, Christian. It's saying, Don't lag. Don't drift. Don't be complacent. Keep your spiritual temperature burning high. Jesus has conquered temptation. Burn for him. Be passionate for him. Come alive for Christ. Awake and rejoice in Christ. Live for Christ. Be all out for Christ. Cry out to him. Use me. Use me. Cry out to him. Build a fire within me. Let God use you. Hold nothing back. God wants you hot. He wants you hot for him, to have a godly enthusiasm for him, to have excitement for the things of God. He wants you to be zealous for good works, zealous for good works, or like our text says again, fervent in spirit. God doesn't want lazy servants. He wants living sacrifices. He doesn't want Christians who serve him one day a week. No, we are to live for him 24-7, fervent for him. Whatever you do, the scriptures say, must be to his praise and glory.
So I think we are very susceptible to temptation when we're apathetic, but I think you can flip that around. And I think our text brings this out that another time, and this is why I titled this a surprising occasion for temptation, is another time when we are very, very susceptible is when you are spiritually cruising. And I mean spiritually flying, spiritually doing well. You're spiritually growing much. Would it surprise you if I started a story and said, uh, the other day I was walking in the spirit and wham, suddenly temptation came and hit me? It shouldn't surprise you because that's exactly what happens in our text. Christ is full of the spirits. In fact, back up to Luke 3.22, he's just been baptized. The sky split, the spirit descends, the father says all of his affection that he has for his son Jesus is on a spiritual high, this unrepeatable event in his life. He's ready for mission. He's ready to to heal the broken, to proclaim the gospel, to set the captives free. He's ready. He's on the spiritual high. And where does the Spirit lead him? Right into the heart of the wilderness to do battle with Satan. He's spiritually prospering. And what happens? attack, temptation. This very spiritually blessed time followed by an intense opposition. So I want us to understand this morning because I, in, in, over the years I, I've, I've seen some who get quite surprised and discouraged by this. They're following after, hard after God. They're, they're in his word. They're trusting his word. They're, they're serving him. They're loving God. They're loving others. But all of a sudden, all this temptation starts hitting all of a sudden, they're in this hard trial, this hard situation. This, they enter into this deep season of temptation. They're, they're surprised by it. And I, I want you to hear this morning that when you open yourself to the fullness of the Spirit, and when you resolve it within your heart, I am going to burn for Christ. I'm not going to lag. I'm not going to be a sleepy Christian. I'm going to be all out for Christ. You know what Satan does? He's coming for you. He hates that. You will be attacked by him. He'll put a bullseye in your back. He will try to ruin you. He will try and destroy you. Sometimes this happens on Sundays. In fact, you need to pray for uh, your pastors, especially on Sundays and Mondays. Because Sundays are spiritually exhausting. They also can be spiritually highs. But you know what? Sunday night, Monday morning rolls along, and those can be some of the lowest moments in a pastor's life. I had many Mondays, and Monday was my day off up in Newbury, if I'm just being honest with you, where Monday, I'm ready to quit. Because Sunday morning can be the spiritual high, and the Lord's doing great things, and this Satan comes along and says, I'm not having that. He tries to derail. You need to pray for your pastors, especially on Sundays and Mondays. The same, though, is true for all of us. I think you can be here on Sunday morning and be very, very encouraged, and then by Sunday night, you're back at that temptation that you're always at or struggling with. Maybe you go to a conference or retreat, and you come home on a spiritual high. It only takes a day or two where Satan, he's right back at it, and temptation is overwhelming you. I think the same can be true of churches. I just shared about when I pastored up in Newberry, uh, First Baptist Church up in Newberry. Uh, when I pastored there, uh, the Lord just did an amazing work for his namesake. Uh, some individuals came to faith in Christ. Uh, some sleepy Christians were waking up. Uh, we were putting together a ministry action plan. We were dreaming for the future. And almost at the same time, in fact, not almost simultaneous to that, 
all these incredibly hard trials and situations popped and arose and started hitting the church. So much so that I actually called for an all-church fast for a week because we were under attack. Satan hated what the Lord and the Spirit was doing in the wilderness known as the UP. And he'll do the same thing here. Don't be surprised if he does the same thing here. I, I, I praise the Lord for a lot of wonderful things that are happening here as a church. We, we do have a number of wonderful things happening. We have an uptick in attendance, an, an uptick in giving, an, an uptick in our counseling ministry. Uh, we have all these outreach events coming, the, the, uh, the Friday night movie, the Invite Your One. We have the Orangeville Picnic Day coming. We have lots of plans. We're reaching to our community, right? Our, our slogan, our passion is saturate Barry and Allegan County with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have several men interested in internship and full-time ministry, so we have that firing up. Uh, we're seeking to be a church of multiplication. There's a lot that we're striving to do, and we're praying to the Spirit to do through us and for his praise and for his glory. So don't be surprised. When Satan shows up to throw a wrench in that. And all of a sudden, all these difficult things happen. And trials happen. These distractions happen. These obstacles come. And maybe there's division. Again, mark it down. When you open yourself up to the fullness of the Spirit and cry out to him, use me, build a fire in me, consume me for your glory. When you do that, watch out. Watch out. You'll find yourself in the wilderness And again, that's okay. It's okay to be in the wilderness because who's there with you? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's there with you. And God, what's he up to? He means to grow us through it. He means to prove us through it. He means to make us more like Christ because of it. Satan, he wants to derail you, but God, he wants to prove you and test you. We can't always be on the spiritual mountaintop. It's wonderful to be there, but the Father brings us into the wilderness, and we trust him. So I want you to think about this. Where does Satan like to attack you? Where's the chink in your armor? Ask yourself this. If I were Satan, where would I tempt myself? Right? If I were Satan, uh, what would I do? Where am I susceptible? Think, Think about that. Whatever that situation might be, whatever that temptation might be, remember that Jesus walked into the wilderness and he won that victory and that victory is your victory. So that temptation, whatever it is, you can overcome that temptation and you can be proved through that and become more like Christ through that temptation as you remember Jesus is your ultimate champion. Jesus won that fight for you. He won that battle for you. That Satan, I gotta say this, Satan, he's got nothing. Satan, all he can do is the power of bluff right? That's all he's got, because Christ defanged him. I'm not saying he's not a formidable foe. He is, but he's got nothing on us when we're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, he's totally got you, and you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but but if you're in Christ, Satan, he has no power over you, no authority over you. He's got nothing over you. All he has is bluff, He's, he's like the guy who, who shows up at the marketplace to try and rob it, and all he has is a toy water pistol or something like that. That's all he's got. But he tries to convince you that it's real, and he's good at convincing you that's a real gun. He's very good at it. But we have the scriptures to look at and, and to, to discern and recognize that, no, that's just bluff. 
that, that Christ is greater. Christ won the victory for me. I don't have to give in that temptation. And I love Christ more than I, more than I love that sin. It's Jesus and Jesus only. He's our champion. He's our victor. He smelled the breath of Satan. He duked it out, eyeball to eyeball. He defeated Christ. In Christ, or he de- Christ defeated Satan, and in Christ, you have the victory. He fights for you.